Have you ever wondered why exactly it is that things usually sound better at home than they do on stage, in auditions, or even in lessons? It's easy to chalk it up to nerves or assume that you just have to practice more or get more performance experience. And sure, those things certainly are part of the puzzle, but a lot of times that's not really the true root cause. If you've been confused by the inconsistency of your performances, I put together a free four-minute quiz called the Mental Skills Audit, which will help you pinpoint your mental strengths and weaknesses and figure out what exactly to adjust and tweak in your preparation for more consistently optimal performances. You can take the Mental Skills Audit online at bulletproofmusician.com MSA. That's MSA for Mental Skills Audit. And again, it's 100% free, and it'll take just four minutes to get your results emailed to you as a PDF. This is Noah Kageyama, and you're listening to the Bulletproof Musician Podcast. Every Sunday morning, we'll take a look at a new research-based tip or technique to help you practice more effectively or perform better under pressure. And on the first Sunday of every month, I'll have a guest from the music, sport, or research world who will share their insights on how we can all be a little more awesome in the practice room and on stage. Whether it's hitting that high note in an audition, nailing that exposed entrance in orchestra, or playing in a masterclass, we all know from experience that it's a lot harder to play like yourself when the pressure kicks in and there's something at stake. Fortunately, we know from studies in this area that the ability to perform well under pressure and reduce that gap between practice and performance is a skill, and that we can get better at performing under pressure if we practice performing under pressure. But that's much easier said than done because it's not like there's an instant pressure button we can push to make our hands go cold and stiff, get our heart pounding, and jumpstart the racing self-critical thoughts. So is there any research in this area? When it comes to simulating the feeling of pressure in advance of a real audition or performance, what works best? A team of researchers interviewed 11 Olympic and international level coaches, representing a range of sports, to find out how they integrated pressure training into their athletes' preparation for competition. There were differences among the coaches, but nevertheless, a few themes emerged. Specifically, two main strategies, each with three key elements. Strategy number one was to manipulate the training demands. The coaches noted that competitions are usually more demanding, both mentally and physically, than anything an athlete would normally encounter in training. So one way of increasing pressure is to manipulate the difficulty of a training session. They reported doing this in three different ways. Way number one was to manipulate the task. This involved tweaking a drill, exercise, or the skill itself to make things more challenging. In music, this might be something like playing with a pianist who's sight-reading the piano part to make it more challenging for you to focus on playing the way that you'd like, or using a subpar read, or playing on a piano with really light or heavy touch, or having to play faster or softer than you will on stage. Way number two was to manipulate the physical or psychological state of the performer like doing a run-through at 4 a.m. when you're barely awake, or right after eating a plate of painfully spicy wings. The third strategy involved changing one's surroundings, like playing in a really dry and unflattering acoustical environment, or in a cold or hot or poorly lit space. The coach's other main method for creating pressure was to use reward and punishment or positive and negative consequences based on performance. They acknowledged that this might sound kind of harsh, but as one coach mentioned, this is an unavoidable part of competition anyhow. Here too, there were three main ways that coaches created pressure. Way number one was to use forfeits. 
This is where you lose something you want or must do something you don't want to do if you fail to meet a certain level of performance, like having to do sprints if you miss a shot. This is pretty straightforward, but the coaches recommended being very cautious as it has the potential to backfire, as you can probably imagine. Way number two had to do with rewards. This strategy sounds a little more appealing in that it involves winning something positive or desirable if you perform well, like being able to move on to the next page of a new piece you're learning or being selected to perform in a masterclass for a visiting guest artist. Way number three had to do with judgment. This involved performing in the presence of someone who is evaluating your performance. This would be like playing for peers and teachers or other musicians you look up to, or strangers and family members even. This would also include studio classes, mock auditions, practice performances, self-recording, and random drop-in performances for a friend in the practice room a few doors down. These all sound like they could be useful, but how helpful are they really? Which ones actually prepare us best for the pressure of a real audition or performance? To find out, a couple of the researchers teamed up with a few others to conduct a study of elite international-level netball players. They put 15 athletes through a throwing accuracy drill in different conditions. In the demands condition, the athletes had to throw at targets in a randomized order, release the ball within three seconds, and hit the smaller targets. They also wore goggles that blocked out vision in one of their eyes and had to deal with a distractingly loud beeping sound. In the consequences condition, the athletes had to perform the drill in front of two or three of their peers, as well as their head coach, who was evaluating them on their ability to handle pressure and stay focused on the task. Their performance was also videotaped so that a well-known national coach could evaluate it at a later time. Furthermore, Whomever got the lowest score had to do a one-minute presentation, either performing a comedy sketch, talking about who they admired most on the team and why, or about why their skills could make them the best in the world, or count backwards from 1,013 by 17s. All of this on camera, which was then uploaded to a popular social media site and stayed there for two weeks. In addition, they had to select one of their teammates who would also have to complete one of these four tasks. The winner, on the other hand, received 50 pounds and immunity from the embarrassing video task. So which of these created more pressure? Well, based on self-reported measures of pressure, anxiety, confidence, and heart rate, the researchers found that facing consequences seemed to more consistently create the feeling of pressure among the athletes. So when designing a pressure training program for yourself or a student, being creative about consequences seems to be the way to go. It's important to note, of course, that we don't all experience the same amount of pressure from the same things. A situation that feels like pressure for one person may feel totally stress-free for another. So if you're teaching, it may help to ask a student for their ideas in creating a list of meaningful stressors. That's actually what the researchers did in coming up with their creative stressors. The creative forfeits above were the result of some collaborative brainstorming between the researchers, athletes, and coaches. It's also important to acknowledge that there are some things you just can't simulate or replicate. Even if you have access to an audition or performance simulator like the one Aaron Williamon and his colleagues developed at the Royal College of Music, which we talked about in last week's episode. But as some of the coaches in the first study suggested, this is actually okay, because the goal isn't to practice for 100% of all possible scenarios in as realistic a way as possible, but rather to create an environment where you can practice pressure management. The goal of pressure management being to identify, test out, and develop a set of skills that you can use when you find yourself in a real pressure situation, 
instead of being caught off guard and having to figure things out on the fly. And whether you manipulate consequences or demands, don't forget to incorporate some element of fun into pressure training. After all, the object of pressure training isn't to evaluate you, the individual. It's all about putting your pressure management skills to the test to see if they're up to the challenge or need a little more work. So what should pressure training look like anyway? And what sort of skills are involved? Well, part of it is understanding how to practice in such a way that our brain and muscles don't just get better at playing at a certain level, but can execute at that level on the very first repetition. And another part of it is recording ourselves and playing for others, of course. But the real key is in understanding what we should be doing during these recording sessions and practice run-throughs. Meaning what exactly? Well, it seems that top athletes and performers are often thinking about or focusing on very different things during performance than they do during practice. Specifically, the inner critic and self-evaluating part of their mind tends to quiet down, and they're able to focus past the technical details and mechanics and attend more to the musical big picture. Of course, just like fingerings and bowings, this kind of attention control has to be practiced in advance. It doesn't take much time and actually be kind of fun, but it's easy to put it off and forget to make time for it. So with this in mind, attention control is one of the key skills that we're going to work on during the live online five-week performance practice class that I'll be teaching starting next weekend. That's Sunday, April 16th. We'll meet once a week via Zoom and explore a curated set of exercises and techniques in four essential psychological skill areas. And to make sure the ideas don't just stay in your head, but actually become consistent habits, I'll show you how to gently integrate these new skills into your daily practice through manageable bite-sized practice challenges. There are a couple more days left to join the group. Registration closes on Monday, April 10th at 11.59 p.m. Pacific. For more information and to get signed up, visit bulletproofmusician.com essentials.